Here in chapter 12 of Hebrews, the writer is encouraging us to be faithful. He is encouraging us to endure. And the chapter starts out reflecting back on those who have gone on before. Specifically, thinking of those listed there in chapter 11. We are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Because of that, we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. Then as we run, he says, of course, look unto Jesus. Keep your focus on Him. He is the ultimate example. There are many great examples throughout Scripture. And Hebrews 11 gives us a great list. But after all that, he says, of course, the ultimate example is Jesus Christ. And He is the author, the beginner, and the finisher of our faith. And for the joy, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, the crucifixion, that horrific death. Endured the cross, despised the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. And then he says in verse 3, For consider him, consider, bear this in mind, keep considering. Don't just think about it and forget, but keep considering him, that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest you be wearied and become discouraged. That's what the faint in your minds means. Lest you become weary, lest you faint in your minds. And this passage here is encouraging us, encouraging us to deliberately look at Jesus. We go through our work week or your school week, or whatever you do during the week. And if we are to be looking unto Jesus, it is something that we are going to have to do deliberately. And I want to encourage you in this. Deliberately consider Him. It has to be something that we are mindful of and that we deliberately choose to think about. You know, for just a simple illustration, a physical illustration, remember Peter. He gets out of the boat. And, you know, Jesus has said, come. Peter says, if it's really you, bid me that I get out of the boat and come to you. He goes, Jesus says, come on ahead. So Peter gets out of the boat. He's looking at Jesus, and he is walking on water. But what so quickly happens is he is distracted by the storm and the wind and the waves about him, and he takes his eyes off Jesus and immediately begins to sink. Of course, he cries out for help, and Jesus rescues him. But it's such a small little story, but with such a profound message. We must deliberately keep our eyes on Jesus. We must deliberately consider Him throughout our week. It's easy for us to be distracted by the tasks of the day, by the the matters at hand, by the, the late appointment, or this, that, and the other And all of these winds and waves of life that surround us tend to distract us from our focus. And it's not that those things aren't important, and they do demand our attention. But we need to remember that we are to consider Him. We are to keep our eyes, keep looking unto Jesus, and that's something that we must deliberately do. 
because it is only natural for us to look at the big wave coming, to look where that wind is coming from. We come to this new section, though, in verse 4. And I've been looking forward to this because it has always been a section that troubles me. And what I mean by that is you tend to read this section and he immediately goes from encouraging these people who are, who are definitely suffering some persecution. <clears throat> Obviously, in verse 4, they have not yet resisted unto blood, but they're undergoing persecution. And immediately kind of graciously rebukes them and, and exhorts them about chastening. And in our minds, we think of this as, well, what did they do wrong? Why are they being chastened? Easy for us to, to immediately think, when we think about chastening, to think of repercussions of wrongdoing. And that's always kind of bothered me. Why does he immediately talk about chastening when and these people are having their goods confiscated. They're undergoing public ridicule for their faith. How is that chastening? Well, I think I'll explain to you today and clear that up. As we look at this passage, there are some things that we want to note. We'll be going through this passage for a few Sundays, obviously. But I want you to note what the Scripture says here about chastening. It says here in verse 6, Whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. In verse 7, If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? And as you look at this passage, we find this truth that chastening is something that all believers have in common. Every one of us, every one of us is going to endure chastening. Who's going to face chastening? We are told to endure chastening, but we are going to face chastening. Every one of us. And there's a lot of differences between believers. Um, but this is one thing that we have in common. Chastening. Every one of us. And in fact, if you don't experience chastening, you're not a son. And that's what he says in verse 8. So chastening is common to all of God's children. But there is something else here in this passage that we will see. Chastening is very prone to misinterpretation or misunderstanding. Of course, if we misunderstand what's going on, that is definitely going to affect our ability to endure. So as we go through this passage, I hope that you will see and understand what is being taught, the truth of what is being taught. Let's note here the encouragement that he gives. In verse 4, he encourages the people by saying this, You have not yet resisted unto blood. Consider this. You've not yet lost your lives. And that's resisting unto blood. Is He's talking about dying in striving against sin. You've not yet experienced even what Christ has experienced. Jesus Christ gave His life. 
He died. And this striving against sin, what is striving against sin? You have not yet resisted in the blood, striving against sin. How often do we strive against sin? Well, that's something that we do continually. That is part of the Christian life, is striving against sin. We strive against sin every day. It's constant. And in fact, what illustration has he just used? It's this running, this race. And in running the race, what are we to do? We're to lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. This striving against sin, this battle against sin, is battle against sin in our own lives. But not only that, battling against sin coming at us from the world. We're surrounded by it. And the Christian life is not just illustrated as a race, but also as a battleground, a battlefield. As we run the race, we're fighting against sin, constantly striving against sin. But not all believers suffer to the point of a violent death. You know, there's many levels of suffering. Sometimes there's suffering with wayward family members or physical trials. There may be just, you know, seeming to be kind of annoyances that just things that really inconvenience us in these trials and the suffering that we go through. And then there's the level these people had experienced. And you go back to chapter 10, verses you know, 33 through 34. There they had been made a gazing stock. They were reproached publicly. They were publicly insulted, shamed for their beliefs. They were shunned. They were despised even for their associations with other believers. And then, he says in verse 34, they had uh, endured confiscation of their goods. And truly, that is still even happening in the world today, where leaders of communist regimes or those who hate Christians will come in and just walk in and take all the goods, confiscate the goods. And then, of course, there's the level of suffering, which he refers to here. You have not resisted unto blood, the loss of life. Now, he says, you have not yet resisted. It may be coming. It may not. But he encourages them. Listen, yes, you're striving against sin, and that is part of the Christian life. You've endured public shaming. You've endured the loss of of your personal possessions, but you haven't lost your life yet. What is the cost of discipleship? You ever think about that? You know, part of the Christian life is suffering. We've been called to suffer. Christ has suffered as an example for us that we should follow in His steps, Peter says. In Matthew chapter 10, and verse 25, what did Jesus tell his disciples? He says, It is enough that the disciple be, disciple be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And then he reminds them of that in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 20. He says, uh, By the way, remember the word that I said unto you, 
The servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. Now, there is a cost of discipleship. Of course, throughout the Gospels, as Jesus was speaking, he would tell people, count the cost. Count the cost. And if you love father, mother, lands, and houses more than me, you are not worthy to be called my disciple. There's a cost of discipleship. So in verse 4, he encourages them to consider that they had not yet resisted unto blood. And then in verse 5, he also says this, you have forgotten something. You've forgotten an exhortation. You've forgotten an exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. And then he gives this exhortation concerning chastening and the response to chastening. Now, if you have a center reference Bible, you'll know who gave that exhortation. Who was it? Well, it was Solomon over 900 years earlier had given this exhortation in Proverbs chapter 3. But he says to them, this exhortation is unto you. It speaks to you. What Solomon wrote over 900 years ago is written to you. And by extension, when we read it here, it is written to us. There's an exhortation that they had forgotten. And of course, he's just quoting from Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. There in that proverb, it says, My son, despise not the chastening of the Lord, neither be weary of his correction. For whom the Lord loveth, he correcteth, even as a father, the son in whom he delighteth. There it is. Here's this exhortation. This exhortation concerning chastening. He says, you've forgotten this. You have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children or as unto sons. My son, despise not the chasing of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Two things they're not to do. Two things we are not to do. First, don't despise. Don't despise. Now, usually when we think of despising something, we think, oh, of just absolute abhorrence and hatred. But that word despise actually means, he says, don't disregard. Don't take lightly. Don't take lightly the chastening of the Lord. Don't, dis don't disregard it. And don't faint. Don't faint when you are rebuked of him. What does it mean to faint? Well, it's mental. To become discouraged. What's the use? I don't see the purpose in this. Don't despise, don't take lightly, and don't faint. Now, how do we take lightly the chastening of the Lord? How do we take lightly the chastening of the Lord? Well, to take lightly of the chastening of the Lord would be to mischaracterize what God is doing in our lives. To mischaracterize what God is doing in our lives. 
And this is going to hark back to a basic principle of the character of God. Have you ever responded to something that was maybe, you would call it, misfortunate? Or you'd say, well, that's just the way it works. Or you might say, well, you win some and you lose some. And how often do we face things in our lives with that kind of an attitude? Now, I want to leave that right there and get back to it and leave that thought. Because I want us to, first of all, before I delve into that any deeper, I want us to understand something about the language here. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Some of you may have a different version than the King James Version. If you like the New American Standard or the English Standard Version, it will, instead of saying chastening, it will use the word discipline. Discipline. And that, in our modern English, is a better word. Because we tend to think of chastening as a spanking. Here is the consequence that you get for doing wrong. This is punishment. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. And we think, oh, it's punishment. And then we think, well, but wait a minute. And this is where we come up with a a, a conflict. But these people were suffering for, for being Christians. And they were hanging out with other Christians. And they suffered reproaches and afflictions. And then they had their goods stolen. Were they sinning in doing those things? No. And that's where... If we have a misunderstanding of the word chastening, it colors our interpretation of the passage here. So I would like you to understand this word as discipline. It is discipline. He does go on later and say down here in verse 6, For whom the Lord loveth, he disciplines and scourges. Scourging. Now there's that definition of chasing that we tend to think of. The spanking, the scourging there indeed is punishment. It is a consequence of wrong action. So he doesn't say it twice. He's using it as two contrasting things. There's the discipline of the Lord. There's also the scourging that we sometimes need. But there's the discipline, and that is not a consequence of wrong action. That is God building in us the character necessary to endure the race set before us. It is not consequences of wrongdoing. Think of the coach of the football team. I remember this so well. Fall, school's getting ready to start. Before school, you go out and have two weeks of two-a-days. They call them two-a-days. Practice in the morning, then you get a break for lunch, and you come back and you do it again in the afternoon. Two weeks of that. And it is brutal. And there's all kinds of unique exercises that the coach has spent the off-season researching just to torture you. And, I mean, hills to climb up and down. We had one hill, and it wasn't a very big hill, but it was all straight up and down. And you had to crawl up it and crawl back down with somebody on your back. It's all this crazy stuff. And then at the end of the practice, when you're finally worn out, he says, all right, let's do some sprints. Everybody on the, on the yard line. You're like, you got to be kidding me. Now, is the coach doing that because the players need to be punished? No. He is doing that 
for there. It doesn't feel good, does it? Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. And yes, we would kind of groan under our helmets. Oh, we're going to die. But what was the purpose? The purpose was to develop endurance so that during the week, during the, you know, the next weekend, it's game day and we're going to meet such and such a school on the field and we want to be able to out-endure them, outlast them and come away with the victory. Okay? So here it says, you have forgotten this exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son, despise not thou the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him, for whom the Lord loveth. He disciplines. And what is the point? The point is for your endurance, so that you may run the race successfully and finish the course. Listen, the, team, the football teams that were gassed in the fourth quarter lost. The teams that had the endurance to play four full quarters are usually the ones that won because they outlasted the ones that were out of shape who were sucking wind in the fourth quarter. And that had everything to do with conditioning, discipline. What happens is we tend to mischaracterize God's discipline. pastor used the illustration from Scripture that I was listening to. I thought it was a good illustration. He says, you know when the disciples were out fishing? They were fishing all night, and they caught nothing. If you're a fisherman, and you fish all night, and you catch nothing, what do you say? Bad luck, you know. And then there's Jesus on the shore and says, cast your nets on the other side. Whoa. And then a multitude of fishes. Well, what do we call that? Well, well, that was the work of God, obviously. Well, but what do we call not catching fish all night? Bad luck? Is that not a mischaracterization of a sovereign God? All things are ultimately from whom? All things are ultimately from the Lord. Remember when they drew in all those fishes? 153 said, yet so many great fishes and the net didn't break. What do fishermen say when they pull in a whole horde of fish and the net didn't break? Wow, boy, well, that was lucky. At least we don't have to spend the next you know, two hours mending our nets. It was a great haul of fish, but the net didn't break. Well, who was in control of that? And what happens is we need to be careful as Christians. We tend to mischaracterize the things that God brings into our lives and we despise them. We take them lightly. You know, we wake up in the morning and feel good, energized, good night of rest, we're ready to go. We just go on with our day, and that's great. But then some days we wake up, and it's like, oh, the headache, or you know, I don't feel well. Well, just something I ate last night, or, you know. And, we, and what, what is it? We don't recognize what God is doing because we don't keep our focus on Him. We don't consider Him and His sovereignty. Listen, all suffering is under God's sovereign providence, even when it's physical suffering. 
And even when it's suffering that has nothing to do with us, it's, it's not punishment. Remember Job. All his friends looked at him and said, you know, you've done something wrong. Out with it. What was God doing? Well, God was developing in Job endurance. Job didn't understand. But God knew what he was doing. We need to be careful that we do not mischaracterize our circumstances. Because is God truly sovereign? Over everything? Over not catching fish all night? Yes. There was a reason for that, for those disciples. And then the very next day, Jesus comes out on the shore. They're out there. They've been fishing all night, haven't caught anything. And that was of the Lord. Then he says, cash nets on the other side. And miraculously, they drew in a whole horde of fishes. Oh, he said, oh, well, that's easy. We, we, we can see that as the Lord working. Yes. You know, what did Job say when his wife said, Job, why don't you curse God and die? Job said, we are not God's fair-weather friends. I'm putting my own words. He said, shall we not receive good at the hand of the Lord and also evil, or what we consider to be misfortunate? It's a bad word. It does not credit God for what he's doing. But Job, what was Job recognizing? You know, It's easy for us to see the hand of God when God does something good or we consider good or beneficial. But what about when the things come in our lives that seem to slow us down or roadblocks or physical suffering or things and we're like, you know, or, you know, the finances are lean or, you know, the kids are sick or this or that and and what do we do? Oh, well, we don't see the hand of the Lord in that. We just, well, that's just, you know, the tough nuts of life. That is a mischaracterization of what God is doing. And so he wants to encourage these people. He says, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, don't despise or mischaracterize or take lightly God's discipline. Because what is God doing? He is even using the events that we don't like to do what? Develop endurance. Now, when we understand that, how does that affect the way we live? It affects It affects our response. Rather than getting angry or getting upset, and this is is something that hits right home, every one of us, myself included. What happens? Get upset, things didn't go the right way. Ah! What am I doing when I respond that way? I'm despising the discipline of the Lord. Is not the Lord in control of that very event that happened? Yes, he is. I won't ask for a show of hands today, but how many of you have already got upset this morning about something that just wasn't done right or didn't go your way or, uh, you know, was just an irritation? How did you respond? Well, it wasn't the Lord. It was my kids. It was my wife. It was my husband. It was, obviously, it wasn't the Lord. It was them. 
And so I, no, no, wait a minute. Okay. All, you know, that's, that's the first level of pers- the first level of suffering. Remember, suffering has a lot of different levels. That's, that's the lowest form. And how do we respond to it? Listen, you've not yet resisted unto blood. You've not yet given your life. And you have forgotten something which you need to be reminded, the writer says. And he says, listen, do not despise the discipline of the Lord. And you know what? God is always disciplining us. Now, and when I say discipline, he's always working in us to develop our endurance. Don't disregard or take lightly. Don't have the wrong kind of thinking. Don't minimize what God is doing. And don't become discouraged because we can't see the purpose. Listen, if you realize that God is working in everything to bring about Christ's likeness in your life, to bring about the endurance that you need to finish the course, you will not faint in your mind. You won't have that attitude of, what was the purpose of that? I sure don't. Why did that have to happen? I don't see any good coming of that. That's fainting in your mind. That's a wrong perspective. Don't despise, don't mischaracterize what God is doing in your life to develop endurance. And if you don't, then you won't faint in your minds because you're going to be thankful because you realize what our heavenly coach is doing. They're on the football field. What are you doing? Oh, I'm going to puke. I can't do another, I can't race anymore. I can't run. I can't do anymore. What's the point of all this? And the kids that have that kind of attitude are the kids that get subbed out in the first quarter. Okay. Or, but the starters are the ones who do what? Follow the coach's directions. They work hard and they develop endurance. And then when it's game day, at the end, when they have finished the course and won the game, ah, they come back and say, you know, coach, thanks. Thanks for what you put us through. I sure didn't enjoy it when I was going through it. Yeah, it hurt. It was not fun. Those are the coaches that you respect and love and you appreciate. I still remember my high school coach. Coaches. But my senior year, we had a brand new coach, and we thought we were doomed because here's a brand new coach. How is he going to, I mean, we have to learn his system and everything. How are we going to do it? Well, he was a great coach, and he worked our tails off. And we made it to the state semifinals. And we always look back at that coach, and he was tough. He wasn't mean, but he worked us. But, you know, it was sure fun to be able to play in the fourth quarter and not think you were dying. And we were thankful see what God is doing, we can be thankful for it because He knows what we're running. He knows the race. He knows the endurance that we need. And daily, guess what happens? We get exercise, don't we? Yes, we do. We get exercise every day. The little inconveniences, the little irritations that come, what are those? Those are wind sprints, folks. Those are push-ups. Those are sit-ups. Those aren't given to you because God is angry with you. No, those are given to you to toughen you up, to build endurance, to help you 
to run that race and make it to the finish line. If you faint in the day of adversity, the Bible says your strength is small. If you faint, if thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. Listen, God is working every day in even the smallest ways to develop in us endurance. And when we recognize that, instead of mischaracterizing it and despising it, when we recognize it, we don't faint. And we can be thankful for it because we know that its ultimate result is what? To help us run the race successfully. Listen, you do not want to be dropping 40 yards before the finish line. You want to be able to run through that tape, arms outstretched, big grin on your face. Now we want to, when we meet the Lord, we want to hear him say what? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Now, he says, you've forgotten the exhortation. Chastening comes from the loving Lord. All of these things are ultimately from the Lord. All suffering, whatever level it's at, all suffering is under God's sovereign providence, which He has designed for our good. Don't disregard it. Don't faint. It's the discipline of the Lord. So this passage really recharacterizes our situation. We, we tend to look at the things we're going through. Oh, it's a trial. It's a temptation. It's opposition. Well, the word, word of the Lord calls it discipline. It's discipline. Now, sometimes it is scourging. Sometimes, yes, we receive a scourging when we have done wrong. But the discipline of the Lord is not, oh, you did wrong, so I'm going to make today hard for you. no. The discipline is there to bring about endurance. Now, I want to I want to go back to the Old Testament, and I want to show you an absolute beautiful illustration. It's going to put all of this in great perspective, because we're going to see this spelled out for us in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So go to Deuteronomy chapter 8. Now, as I was looking at this passage, there were a few verses that stood out, and but the more I read it, I was like, well, the whole chapter is the whole chapter is it. This is this is a perfect example. Old Testament Israel. They're going through the wilderness. And you know, they get the same food every single day. Manna. Every day. I mean, every day. And here in Deuteronomy chapter 8, Moses is writing his last book here to the children of Israel. He's rehearsing what God has done for them, and he's showing them God's purpose because they are just about to go into the promised land. He will not be going with them but they will be going. He says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. There it is. You're about to go in. 
And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness. So who is he speaking to? He's speaking to the ones that have survived. All that older generation which disobeyed when they came to the promised land at first and would not go in, they've all died, with the exception of Moses. And, of course, he's not going in. They've come to the end. They're about ready to enter the promised land. And these are all that were 20 years old and upward that had left Egypt. These are the ones who are going to go in. So he's going to recount. They've been there through 40 years of wandering, watching that first generation just die off. You will remember the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Forty years of discipline, forty years of proving them. Let's read on. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee, or allowed thee to hunger. Hmm. Hunger. That's a pretty low level of suffering. But hungering. He allowed thee to suffer hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Why did God feed them the way He did? He said, I did this to humble you, to prove you, to discipline you, and to teach you that you do not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Go on. He says, Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years. Their clothes lasted. How many of you have had clothes that lasted 40 years? Shoes? They don't last 40 years, especially when you're walking around the desert. Try 40 years. See what happens to your, you know, your red wing work boots. They're going to be gone. But no, not these people. Verse 5, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. As a man disciplines his son and teaches him, the Lord is disciplining you. Therefore, for what purpose? Well, therefore thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. What was the 40 years experience? It was discipline. It was scourging for all those that were dead. But for those that were going into the land, it was 40 years of training and discipline so that, so that what? So that you would keep His commandments and walk in His ways because look what's just about to happen. Verse 7, For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, 
a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron, and out of hills, whose hills thou mayest dig brass. You're getting ready to go into a land of plenty. Well, God, then why did you make us drag around for 40 years where there was no pomegranates nor oil? I mean, we're eating this manna. 40 years. You think cornflakes every morning is bad? I mean, for a week, you want a new box. Give me those Apple Jacks or Fruit Loops or something different, right? But uh, 40 years of manna. To humble them? To discipline them? As a father would discipline his son? Because here it comes. You're heading into a land of plenty. So beware. Beware, verse 11, that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwell therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied and all thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be what? Lifted up. And now forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Why did he discipline them? He says, because I'm bringing you to a place where you are going to be successful, and success has a tendency to do what? To destroy. And there will be a temptation for you to forget the Lord your God, to be lifted up in pride. That's why I humbled you. That's why I allowed you to suffer hunger. It wasn't because you'd done wrong. It's because you needed the discipline, because you need to keep my commandments even when things are going well. It says, And your heart will be lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God, which brought thee out to the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents, scorpions, and drought, where there was no water, and who brought forth water out of the, flock of, out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end." But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he swear unto thy fathers, as it is this day. The last two verses of this chapter, and it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish." As the nations which the Lord destroyed before your face, so shall ye perish, because you would not, because you would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And he also could look back and say, and look at your fathers. They're all dead in the wilderness. They died these 40 years. And if you do not, if you do not obey my commandments, and if you forget the Lord your God, you will be no better than the nations which I have destroyed before you who lived in this land that you now have been given. A great warning. And 40 years of discipline for preparation. And the Bible does say that the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua in that generation. But the next generation lacked the discipline 
Maybe they mischaracterized it, but what happened? They went after other gods, and certainly, as he said, this did happen. Now, what a great chapter. What a perfect illustration of what God does in our lives. He takes us through discipline. He takes us through suffering. And it is designed to build our endurance and to help us prepare for running that race which He's called us to do. And it, listen, the discipline aspect, you look at Job, he was disciplined for a while, but you've seen the end of the Lord. And the endurance of Job and how God blessed Job in his latter end. And you know what? Because Job was disciplined and because he developed endurance when that blessing came, it didn't ruin him. He had been humbled. He'd been proven. And just here as God says, I did this to humble you and to prove you, to discipline you. And when success comes, don't let it ruin your race. Back to Hebrews chapter 12. You've not resisted unto blood. Take comfort in that fact, in your strife against sin. But you've forgotten something. You're, for, you're forgetting that even the suffering that you're going through is God's discipline. Don't despise it. How do you respond to that low level of suffering that comes upon you from day to day? Listen, you're not resisted to blood. Recognize it for what it is. Recognize it for what it is. It is God's disciplining you. And when you recognize that God is sovereign and in control of all of these things, you will not faint and say, what's the use? What was the purpose of that? God has a purpose to humble you, to prove you, and to develop the endurance necessary to run with endurance the race that is set before us. Folks, what a great perspective changer. But this is something we have to bear in mind when we walk out of here. We have to bear this in mind daily. God is proving us. He is disciplining us. His chastening is not punishing us. And again, that's the misunderstanding of that word. It is his discipline. Yes, there are times that we do need scourging. But that's not what these people were going through in Hebrews. As he's encouraging them, he is saying, yeah, you look back in chapter 10. He just said it. <laughs> you've endured, you've been made a gazing stock by reproaches and afflictions. And also partly by being companions of them that were so used. And then you've You've suffered the loss of your goods. Don't faint. Don't say, oh, man, what was the use? Why, what is the point of that? Recognize what God is doing. Understand why he's doing it. Be thankful. Because it's all a result of God's love.
And we see that. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. And scourgeth whom? His children, every son whom he receives. If ye endure chastening, verse 7, God dealeth with, dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? But if ye be without discipline, whereof all his children are partakers. And again, it's common to every believer. If you be without discipline, then you're not a son. You're illegitimate. You're a phony. You're not a true believer. You're not a true son of God. There is no son of God that does not experience chastening. So, folks, it's part of Christianity. It is part of being a child of God. He disciplines us because he loves us. Of course, we'll get to it, but what does it result in? That peaceable fruit of righteousness unto those who respond correctly. How are you responding? Listen, what a, what a challenge here today in this passage. Be encouraged. You know, we're living in a day where there's going to be a lot of discipline. How are you going to respond? You recognize it for what it is, for who's bringing it, why he's bringing it. He loves us. He wants to develop discipline in our lives. God knows what he's doing. He knows what we need. And we can be thankful. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the fact that you are our Father. And Lord, you treat us as your children. Lord, you love us. And Lord, this discipline aspect is part of love. Lord, help us not to despise it, to mischaracterize it, but to recognize it for what it is. And Lord, to be thankful that you care enough about us to work in our lives, to develop the endurance that we need to run the race in such a way that when we stand before you, Lord, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Lord, help us to bear this in mind, to deliberately consider it. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our final hymn. Number 392. 392. Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. Sing this together as we close. <clears throat>